right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the Week 10 College Football Betting Preview. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. You done monkeying around over there? Monkeying around, looking for some cherry-treat candy. This has been such an eventful week already. You and I are podcasting on Thursday. It feels like we've already had a full week of games because nobody plays defense in the MAC. And I can tell you, like, taking an under in this conference is going to be about impossible. Even with Akron, like, firing Tom Arth, who's playing defense in this conference? It's amazing. I, I, I see the games on schedule for next week. Central Michigan-Kent, what is that going to be, 105 points? Yeah, college football playoff rankings came out. They were interesting. We'll talk about them maybe throughout. And make sure you tune into the Sources podcast episode with Colin and Brett McMurphy. And as always, make sure you tune into the group of five guys. They kill it every week. So much to get to. So let's jump right in. And as always, we'll start with look ahead or look away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? All right. By request, people were saying, you know, you used to put out your favorite situational spots, a piece out there. So I got a couple of DMs. So I will have that out there this week. It'll be seven of them. Seven of my favorite spots. This is one of them. We'll start with Penn State traveling to Maryland. Crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland does. 3.30 Eastern kickoff. Penn State is a 10-point favorite over under 55 and a half. So my initial thoughts on this, awful spot for Penn State. I got to give them credit. They show up last week. They get up off the mat after that Illinois nine-overtime loss. Their coach didn't even know who they were playing that week. But they got up off the mat. They put up a fight against Ohio State. They lose. They drop the five and three. Now they travel to College Park for their second straight road game against a five and three Maryland team. With Michigan and they have Michigan on deck. It's, a, I, I, it's just hard for me to envision Penn State, which had so, so many bigger hopes for the season, being motivated for this game. There's a huge chance they come out flat, just like we saw last year. Last year, Penn State lost to Ohio State to drop to 0 2, pretty much ended their college football playoff hopes. The next week, they played Maryland, this time at home. They're down 35 7 in the third quarter, came out completely flat. So I think this number is too high, a tad too high just on the surface. I hate backing Maryland at home, but here we go again. This spot, throwing this spot, I'm backing the Terps plus 10. You know, they lost Demas at receiver, but I'm a little less worried about their receiver situation based on what I've seen the past couple of weeks. And Tagovailoa has looked fantastic for most of this season outside of that Iowa game. Uh, Penn State's offense still has issues. They can't run the ball. The offensive line is bad. 
Clifford, I'm sure, will move the ball here, but there's a good chance Penn State comes out really flat. And uh, I think Maryland could score enough to – wouldn't shock me if they were in position to pull off this outright. So give me the Terps. Do you agree here? Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, you and I have talked about this before. You are a reflection of your head coach. And when you have someone like James Franklin, the losses can pile up pretty fast. Look at the streaks they were on last year. What, lost five straight, won four straight? And, you know, so, I mean, when we break down the number, it's something I project eight and a half. So there is value on the Maryland number as we record at 10. Uh, a total of 52, a little bit of value on some under here. And as a person that has like over five and a half as one of my biggest preseason bets, on Maryland's win total. Uh, I'd love an upset here before the Michigan game. And then I'm going to eventually probably going to have to have a buyout spot against Rutgers on that Terps win total over, but you know, four straight games against the spread losses for Maryland. Uh, they won, but they didn't cover against Indiana. They, they lost three. Straight. Yeah. They lost three straight before that. I think what people need to realize that losing streak included a net minus 10 and turnovers, seven of them to Iowa, of course, they're great in gaining 500 yards against Indiana, but they're bad in letting the Hoosiers offense put up 450 yards, which is like a theme every week. Penn State rushed just for 33 yards against Ohio State. They're in that game. They, I mean, they've completely given up on running. 122nd rushing success rate. But let's go to Coach Franklin, who's quickly on his way to USC. James Franklin in the presser this week. Our RPO game will become more explosive when people respect the run this week, we're going to make people respect the run. That's pretty interesting on those comments, considering the total keeps going up, right? I mean, if you're committed to running the ball, I don't know why that total keeps going up. So Maryland's outside the top 100 in coverage. They're outside the top 90 against the explosive pass. But Clifford, this is something I didn't realize either. Clifford's 42-yard pass against Illinois, he had one pass for 42 yards. That's the longest gain from scrimmage over the last three games. I, I, I can't, they have no explosiveness. The, so the pass game is, is got dunk. yeah, I'm looking at the under here. I'm with you on Maryland. Penn State's defense limited the Buckeyes to 305 passing yards. So Maryland, it's not like Maryland's just going to line up and run the ball or, you know, get it down the field fast. But can the Nittany Lions maintain this level of defense? I mean, I mean, look at this. They've been the MVP against Indiana, a three-point win against Iowa heading into the bye, nine overtimes against Illinois. Then Ohio State. I mean, they're the MVP every single game. Can you keep up this level of play? I'm with you on Maryland. I'm looking at the under two. Moving on to our second spot here. Let's look at – let's move to the Big 12 and take a look at Baylor, who is a seven-point favorite traveling to TCU. Baylor last week, comeback win over Texas. Again, they trailed, I believe, 21-10 in the second half. Next week, they have Oklahoma in a massive game with Big 12 title implications, national, maybe college football playoff implications as well. Talk about a sandwich. Sandwiches. 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 Come back to beat Texas. You have Oklahoma on deck. Now you have, you know, three and five TCU. TCU obviously been one of the most disappointing teams in the country. As a result, you know, they fire Gary Patterson. They move on from him. The question is, is this line too high? Does the team rally here? I, I'm going to lean on yes. Now, if they lose this game and get blown out, they're, they're a dead team. I will not touch them. I would only fade them. But this is, you know, you still have a chance to go to a bowl. You got pretty much got to win this game. Everything's been disappointing this year. New co- Now you have a, a new regime in, and you're playing your in-state rival at home, and they're a top-20 team. You can ruin their season. 
it's hard not to get up for that. So I expect TCU to get up for this. We don't know who's going to be a quarterback. We don't know if Zach Evans is playing, but the running back room is loaded. The defense has been so poor that it's just hard for me to envision that they're not going to be any better. If I don't use any priors for TCU, which has always been a really good defense, they have a ton of talent. They have NFL players on this defense. I would not even touch TCU with a 10-foot pole. But I expect this defense to at least – look, they're, they're giving up 6.9 yards per play. That's There's only eight teams in the country that are allowing 6.9 yards or more. But I expect some improvement on the TCU defensive side. It's a really bad spot for Baylor. I need the seven. And there's a seven out there. It would yep. not go any lower. I'm hesitantly going to buy – low on TCU and play this spot with a new staff too. And Gary Patterson was in the building this week, like helping them prepare, but the new staff also, look, you can have a couple new wrinkles, a couple new looks that Baylor's are prepared for that element of surprise could work in their favor. So I do think the line is a bit inflated. If I, you know, I'm assuming that TCU is eventually going to, the defense is going to get a little better. Now in fairness, it's the healthiest their defense has been all year. The defense still with a plethora of key injuries. Give me the Horn Frogs here. It's scary but I think that's the side. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Baylor minus three is a projection total of 58. So I'm not going to pay attention to the overall total of the game because the steam on this is just wailed on the five. It's got it up to seven at some shops and, and stuck. I'm in the same boat as you are we, when's it going to stop steaming? Right. Cause every time it's gone from six and a half to seven, it gets whacked with sharp money comes back down to six and a half and then we're back at seven again. So are we going to get above a touchdown here? And of course, the elephant in the room is the firing of Gary Patterson. You're right. He showed up to the offices. He went over the Baylor game plan with his assistants. The TCU AD, Jeremiah Donati, said that he showed great class, and that's just always been the case with Patterson. So the question is, do the players, specifically the defense, do they play their best game of the season under interim Jerry Kill, which <laughs> please stay in good health, Jerry Kill. There's been social media activity this week that's that's important. Gary Patterson encouraging Zach Evans about you know who he is as a person. Patterson's wife calling on the players to stick together and fight on for TCU. There's a lot of support for Gary Patterson on social media through the TCU players, but they're bottom 10 in everything in defensive statistically. It's really tough to say, well, now they flip a switch and all of a sudden they can play some defense because they allowed Kansas State to triple the national average in explosive plays. They allowed West Virginia's offense to be explosive and gain 20% more in national average and available yards. I mean, getting West Virginia to look that way, you know, there, there's nothing in the numbers that suggests to me that Baylor and quarterback uh, Jerry Bohannon and, you know, running back Abram Smith are not going to just run wild here. So the question is, is, will TCU be able to keep up? I think the only thing that I can lock down that I am playing on this game is that Baylor is 12th in the college football playoff rankings. They may be looking for style points. Baylor has scored at least 31 points in every single win this year. Their team total is 32 in this game. So I'm going to bank the TCU doesn't have much improvement on defense. I don't know if they can keep up on offense, but I am playing Baylor over 32 team total points. I will be the one in fear with a TCU ticket. When, you've got to wait and see if that seven and a half comes, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm taking seven, and if I can get seven and a half, I'll take a little bit more. All right. Let's move on to another spot here. Another one that I'm betting. This is one of my favorite cards of the year, so we'll see how that works out. Ole Miss hosting Liberty in the Hugh Freeze Bowl. You don't cuss. You don't drink. So what are your vices? I have been known to uh, to chew a bit of tobacco when I get a little tired or watching film. Ole Miss, depending on the book, nine and a half, ten point favorite over Liberty. This, to me, is a horrible spot for Ole Miss for multiple reasons. We... Faded them last week with Auburn. Bo Nick season in full effect. 
because of their grueling October, right? They had they go Alabama to start it, you know, on the road, and then LSU, and then Tennessee, and then Arkansas, and then Auburn, like five SEC games in five weekends, home away, home away, home away in the month of October. Well, there's still no break. They come home after getting beat up in that Auburn game and play Liberty this Saturday. Liberty, meanwhile, was what, off of a, a win against UMass. They basically had a bye week. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. From an injury and freshness perspective, huge edges for Liberty and their quarterback. By the way, this is a matchup of two quarterbacks who could be the first two quarterbacks taken in the NFL draft. Malik Wells, a couple weeks ago, was dealing with an injury. He's now healthy. Had a couple bad games with some picks, but he's been much cleaner with the ball the past few games and looks healthier. One of the most dynamic running quarterbacks in the country as well. So, look, Liberty should be able to move the ball against Ole Miss. It's a poverty defense. We know that. And on the other side of the ball, this Ole Miss offense, which, look, Lane Kiffin with Matt Corral and these weapons, one of the best offenses in the country. The problem is it's a crippled Matt Corral. Their top three receivers could be out. Their starting tight end might be out, and both of their top guards are out. So, I mean, last week they're throwing a walk-on tight end and a walk-on wide receiver. This is not the same Ole Miss offense that you remember from earlier in the year. On top of that, Link Kevin came out and said midweek, I don't think that, you know, as of now, all three top receivers wouldn't play. And the tight end probably wouldn't play. And it kind of makes sense. Like, you're playing Liberty at home. This is the week you need to rest for the rest of the year. So I think that they'll probably err on the side of caution. Matt Corral's beat up too. So I think 10 is too many here with Liberty who should score against, uh, especially with a, a very beat up, undermanned Ole Miss offense. Give me the flames. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. I love it. I'm with you. I took nine and a half. I'm not worried that there's a, a 10 out there. Um, you know, that I, I don't know. Maybe I'll buy it again. There's going to be a full preview i uh was the one that drew this game for the write-ups this week there's going to be a lot of bible verses out there so if you're into Hugh freeze and preaching the bible i got some isaiah in there i got some fire and brimstone i got all kinds of good stuff and if you've ever partied in memphis before you know what i'm talking about but listen you know this is the biggest game i feel like of hugh freeze's life and that's saying something for a guy that's beaten alabama twice right a guy that's been to a sugar bowl i mean freeze's disgraceful exit from ole miss if you don't know, in case you've been living under a rock, Houston Nutt filed a defamation smear lawsuit against Ole Miss and Hugh Freeze. Felt like, you know, Houston Nutt did not enjoy the way that he his departure was from Ole Miss, uh, blamed Hugh Freeze and, you know, people at Ole Miss for the way that he was being profiled. And that turned up Freeze's school Ole Miss supplied cell phone, which, you know, provided phone records that was filled with things that most souls would burn on a cross for. Uh, funny enough, now Freeze is the coach of the Liberty Flames. My father's vision for Liberty University was to found a world-class Christian university that would be for evangelical young people what Notre Dame is for Catholic young people and what Brigham Young is for Mormon young people. So Liberty is like having major issues and havoc allowed. We've talked about this before. Like, how did ULM win this game? And there's a big drop off in offensive line play. It's trickled down to Malik Willis's productivity. He had six INTs in back-to-back weeks against Middle Tennessee, against ULM. And the, the issue in this game is, is that Ole Miss has no pass rush. The Ole Miss defense has been bad in success rate, but they're worse when their opponents get into scoring position. 31 red zone attempts against this Ole Miss defense. 26 touchdowns allowed. That's crazy. No field goals, all six points. So what's the status of Matt Crown the ankle? You mentioned it. I feel like this is going to be a big Jerry and Ely 
Snoop Connor exclusively on the ground. Luke Altmyer will be in there at quarterback. Liberty's been excellent against the pass. They're 33rd in coverage and they're seventh in defensive passing success rate. So this is an Ely Connor game, which means it shouldn't be as high scoring and as up tempo as you would think. I took Liberty nine and a half. I play it down to seven. Rebels have Texas A&M next week. They have an egg bowl in three weeks. They need people healthy. This game means everything to freeze. It doesn't mean shit to Ole Miss. It doesn't mean anything to Lane Kiffin. And Lane Kiffin talked about freeze. He's like, listen, my brother worked for Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. Kiffin's words were, this may be the best game day coach out there from a pepper preparation standpoint. I'm, I'm impressed with Hugh Freeze and how he gets his players to play. That's enough for me. I'm taking Liberty. I'd play it down to seven. Yeah, I would, I would lean under here too. Ole Miss on totals are always, unders are always scary. But I do agree that Ole Miss is probably going to go heavy dose of run here. And their offense is being priced in the market as if it's clo- close to full strength. That's nowhere close. Right. But I agree. Great spot for Liberty. All right. Moving on here to our final game. And look ahead, look away. Uh, another game I will be playing. NC State traveling down to Florida State. NC State is a two, two and a half point favorite here. All they have to do is beat three and five Florida State. And they will set up a showdown next week for the ACC Atlantic Division. Wake Forest, where the winner will likely win the ACC Atlantic. Even if Wake Forest loses, that game will put the winner will be in first place. Well, it's easy, right? Well, not so fast. (laughs) I actually like Florida State here a lot. Digging into their numbers, people remember Florida State for losing to Jacksonville State, getting trucked by Wake Forest. Well, who was the quarterback in those games? Mackenzie Milton. You look at his numbers, miserable, miserable. They're 0-3 in Milton starts. They averaged 18 points per game. Here's who they played. Louisville, Jacksonville State, and Wake Forest. Not a murderer's row of defenses. They averaged 18 points per game. Tra- Jordan Travis's five starts. Remember, he started that opening game against Notre Dame where they almost won in overtime. Three and two. They're two losses against Notre Dame in overtime against Clemson last week and again in the fourth quarter. They're averaging 37 points per game in those five games, more than double what they averaged with Milton. So you look at the – you strip out the McKenzie-Milton possessions, this offense profiles really well, and I don't think the market is adjusting for that. The young pieces on the Florida State defense are also improving. Just look at what they did in the month of October. It was a really impressive month for Florida State. The team, I think, is trending up. I think they'll get up for this game. Look, Florida State getting to a bowl I think is important this year. Need this game sitting at three and five also can ruin NC State's season. NC State didn't decimated by injuries as well. They lost their starting their star guard and they've now lost four starters on the defensive end. The latest being Isaiah Moore, their captain and, and star linebacker. They already lost Peyton Wilson with their star linebacker earlier in the year. So this defense is just not the same. And yes, they went on the road and got a win over Louisville. Final score looks lopsided. They trailed in that fourth quarter. They were outgained. They gave up a ton of yards. I think that, look, this is the same NC State team that went down to Miami and lost a couple weeks ago. Awful spot for them. I think Florida State is not being respected enough in the market for what they've done. What has NC State really done this year? I mean, they won at BC. They beat Clemson in overtimes. I'm not as impressed with NC State. Devin Leary's playing well. But I think Florida State gets up for this game, catches NC State looking ahead a little bit. And Jordan Travis and this offense uh, keep it rolling here. So I like Florida State. I'm waiting for the three minus 120 uh, if I can get it. But I'll, I'll play them if not with the Knowles. 
No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. The market is screaming Florida State. You know, I project this NC State minus six, a uh, total of 54 and a half. NC State can take control. Uh, you know, there's a, a overlooked awake here. But what's interesting is that wake UNC game that happens earlier in the day, the early kickoff, it's not a conference game. So even if wake loses that game, it has no bearing on the fact of this game, which means NC State has to win this game, right? Or else they have a two loss gap between them and Wake. So, you know, it's really interesting that that Wake-UNC game is not a conference game. You guys can go read about that. But, you know, give credit to the NC State offensive line. They're, they're fifth in havoc allowed. Devin Leary is running a horizontal RPO outside zone that sets up vertical shots downfield to Devin Carter and uh, Mecca Emsey. And, you know, FSU is fifth in defensive tackling. They have been fantastic at tackling in space. I was a little shocked to see that this Florida State team is fielding uh, they have no problems tackling anybody uh, one-on-one. Uh, and this, this may come to Larry throwing against the FSU secondary. Uh, Seminoles are 58th in coverage. But the Florida State offense has been all explosive run. Not a lot of success rate in the passing game. 111th and havoc allowed. 49 tackles by loss. But if you strip out some of that McKenzie Milton stuff, you're right. I mean, the 12 fumbles this season by the offense, if you strip out some of that, it's actually been pretty decent. Now, the NC State defense is top 30 against the explosive run, and they're 24th in line yards, and they're 12th in tackling, which means they can control Florida State's running backs from breaking the line of scrimmage and getting to those second-level yards, preventing the big gain. So I agree with you. But they've also lost two linebackers. They've lost a starting defensive tackle now, a starting safety. So it's not the same unit that it's been all year. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, which which is why I'm backing you with Florida State. I'm also looking at the under. I don't see a lot of big passes through the air. I don't see tempo in these numbers. So, you know, I, I think the under and Florida State is the play. Yeah, I'm going to wait for that three. And, yeah, I think Florida State pulls off this upset. All right, before we get to our marquee matchups, we do have a quick reminder to check out our friends Three Man Weave, Kai McHugh and Jim Root and Matt Cox, who are releasing bonus college basketball betting episodes every Wednesday morning here on the Big Bets on Campus podcast. So if you're into betting college hoops, check out this week's episode. And we will transition over to basketball full-time late in December. I also have a couple of pieces out there, and we just have tons of content from our team. So make sure you check that out on actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. What's your yeah. favorite basketball future so far? I only played one, baby. Oh, by the way, breaking news from Brett McMurphy coming in. Cal, a lot of COVID issues. If you're thinking about betting them, they, these teams don't identify the players, but there was a press release out. So just keep that in mind if you were thinking about betting the Cal game. Uh, only one future. And I'll have, we'll have I'll add more throughout the year. Um, we add them on our podcast. We, we look at that every week once December and January roll around. Uh, and this is not a homer bet. I'm, I guess I'm technically a Kentucky fan, but I played Kentucky 20 to one. This is the Cal revenge tour year. I love all the pieces that they added. He's a master at putting them together and making them work come March. Really love the upside. I think they're one of the five best teams in the country when it's all said and done. Might be able to get a better number to, if they struggle early, but I wanted to get some exposure if it does work right off the bat. Uh, so that's it. Yeah, I mean, I've got a standard Arkansas 30 to one. That's a number that I don't think is going to get any better because they, uh, Musselman, has lined up uh, a lot of teams that he predicts are going to win their conference, the Northern Iowa's of the world. So, out of conference, Arkansas is going to play a stacked schedule. He did this last year where he played ORU early. He, like, he loves to build his non conference around teams that he thinks are going to win their conference. It makes it better for him for the selection committee and it makes his team stronger because he's got about seven or eight transfers that are outstanding players. And I don't think that price is ever going to get any better. Woo, pig suey. 
Collins talking Razorback basketball. Speaking of plus money, 50 to 1 cash is on. It was a high price for Colin talking Arkansas hoops <laughs> on the college football podcast. All right, good stuff there. We have a lot to get to in the marquee matchups. <clears throat> we just we just did four, broke them down well, and look at it, look away. We agreed. Let's uh let's disagree some. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 10. I know that we're going to disagree at least on this first game. Oregon, seven-point favorites at Washington, over-under sitting at 51. Here's the question when it comes to this game with Washington. Yeah, I mean, people are saying Jimmy Lake came out and was talking about Oregon's not on academics, like at their academic level. It's going to be motivation for Oregon. If Oregon needs motivation for this game, they're in trouble. But I know that, I mean, they're in the college football playoff discussion. This is Washington's, Washington's has been one of the most disappointing teams in the nation this year. They're four and four. They open with a a loss at home to FCS Montana. Dylan Morris has not been great. Their offense has not been great, but they have, I mean, they're, you know, their star tight end was out for a while. All three of their top receivers were out to start the year. Still has been great. Play calling hasn't been great, but there's just some, at least some flashes in recent weeks. Just their defense, one of the best secondaries in the country. Trey McDuffie is, and Kyler Gordon are future pros, and you just can't throw on, on Washington at all. Part of that is by design as well, but they have two excellent corners. But the run defense has been really bad. Usually it's like they let you run a little bit, but it's been really bad this year. So that's, that's the concern. Okay. Them, are they going to be able to score on Oregon and then? Can they slow down Oregon's rushing attack? Anthony Brown running the ball. Before I get into that, yes, I think that the defense is going to step up here and stop the run. I'll tell you why in a second. But this is also Washington's – Washington's been waiting for this game. You remember last year, they won the division, but Oregon went on to win the conference because they couldn't go and play because of COVID. And believe it or not, you want to talk about like a new lease on life? Washington's 4-4. Four and four. I didn't even realize this when I put my bet in. Washington's four and four. They win this game. They're in first place in the division. I have a bet on them to win the division. They're four and four. They're gonna. They could be in first place in division. Ruin Oregon's college football playoff hopes. So there's no doubt they're gonna be up for this game at night, primetime Husky Stadium, raucous environment. Why do I think that they can stop the run? That's what this comes down to. Like I assume that you're gonna say they can't, which is fair, and then Oregon will be able to shred them. But Washington last week made basically took their entire defense and blew it up and inserted an entirely new defense. So normally they have three defensive linemen, they're dropping eight and they've been bad against the run. Well, here's what they did. They took Kyler Gordon who's one of the best corners in the country. They moved him to slot. He's a really good tackler. He can come down and, and defend the run. This will also be important playing the slot against Oregon. Likes to throw to their backs. Quarterback likes to run. So they moved him to slot they kept McDuffie, who's also one of the best corners in the country on the outside. And um, they moved – they have a freshman who's also on the outside now at corner. Really good corner. They took Bradley Hiles, the Oklahoma transfer, nickel. They moved him from slot to not a great tackler, to safety. They, For the first time all year, they started Dom Hampton, 225, bigger safety. Their safety has been awful at tackling. Played him in the box. He didn't miss a tackle all last week. So – then they also started this kid, Bruner, a legacy for Washington. Freshman, inside linebacker, making his first start. What did he do? 16 tackles, one and a half sacks, 
one forced fumble, first player in Pac-12 history to win freshman of the week and defensive player of the week. He was firing on all cylinders. Also, to get Zion, their star out edge rusher, who's going to go in the first or second round. He was up to 26 snaps. Apparently, you're going to have full, full go this week for Washington. But the main thing is they're playing with Gordon and now Hampton in the box. They're bigger. This linebacker looks like a stud. They're not. They're bringing their safeties down. They're playing with the better safeties in the box, and they're playing with their best run-stuffing corner in the slot. And they're not just dropping their safeties. So I don't think that they're going to do that this game. They're trusting their corners, which Washington, by scheme, generally hasn't done in the past, but they should here. you got to get better against the run, and you have elite corners. I think they have three corners that are the, all three of the top highest-rated corners in the Pac-12. So I loved some of the changes that Washington made. Now, it was against Stanford. It was one game from a schematic perspective, and then the bodies that they're getting in the box, when you compare them to the missed tackle percentages for the players that were in there, it's night and day. And um, I think that that's going to show in the field. I'm taking a leap of faith here. But uh, I'm also not high on this Oregon team, not nowhere close to as high as the market. And people have to remember that this is the same Oregon team that lost at Stanford. Washington just beat Stanford. This is the same Oregon team that needed to come back in the fourth quarter to beat Cal at home, to beat Fresno at home. And who is Oregon beat by more than seven points this year? Colorado, Arizona, and Stony Brook, all at home. That's it. Give me Washington plus seven. I think they pull off the upset. How do I even follow that up? I okay. mean, you can just rely on the numbers, though. The numbers say that Washington's going to get blown out. First off, 47 degrees, 40% chance of rain, 12 mile an hour uh, across the grid uh, winds. So there's some weather element coming in here, too. So I don't expect – I didn't expect a lot of air uh, under the ball uh, from either of these offenses anyways. You know, it's funny you mentioned those comments that uh, Jimmy Lake made. It, it's, fun because, it's funny because my oldest son is actually looking at Oregon to go to school there. They're 64th in computer science and they're 55th in mathematics. All right. That ain't so bad, Jimmy Lake. But, you know, for him to say that we compete with academic prowess like Notre Dame, Stanford, USC is quite funny. Cristobal's response was our our every single ounce of our focus is on the game. And I think it's important, Stuck. I I, I agree that the schematic changes were needed. Maybe, maybe he thought he was at Washington University in St. Louis, by the way. That's a, that's a really <laughs> Sorry, I love you, Washington. I agree with you that the schematic changes were needed by Jimmy Lake on the defensive side of the ball. And, and I, I had read that, but my problem is, is that Stanford still averaged 54% uh, success rate on running plays. Uh, that's 10% above national average on running plays last week. And they were only stuffed seven of 24 runs, which is below national average and stuff rate. So the people that are moving into the box is good at it stopping explosive runs, but it's not exactly meeting at the line of scrimmage or getting tackles for loss which was a part of the handicap that I had. Now I'm not going to come on here and pretend like this is a Oregon's defense is going to be able to stop what Washington is doing. I just don't like Jimmy Lake. I don't like Jimmy Lake's comments. Uh, you know, you look at some of these things that under his reign, the hiring of 
John Donovan, his offensive coordinator, he's just an offensive mm. dinosaur. I mean, he he's he yeah. is not fit for this job whatsoever. And on the other side, you have Joe Moorhead back on the sidelines, and that's just a huge coaching mismatch when it comes from an offensive perspective. Sure. has been fantastic on the ground with Anthony Brown, now Travis Dye, greatest mustache in all of college football. Uh, the offense is ninth in havoc allowed. They're 14th in line yards. And like I said, they're going to move the ball. Maybe they'll get met five to seven yards in standard downs. But again, Washington's 118th and stuff, right? Like I said, that hasn't changed. So the Huskies are, you know, they used to be the standard in college football and defensive havoc. Now they're outside the top 100. So I think Oregon's going to run all day, especially with the weather. Big advantage in finishing drives. Oregon's team total is certainly, that was in my scope all week. Uh, if you don't want to take the seven, if you can't swallow the seven, because I agree with Stock, Oregon's not like beating people like uh, by oblivion, like huge amounts. The question is, is can Washington keep up? If you're going to back that seven, the offense is 122nd big play percentage. They're in bad weather. And that's one area where Oregon struggles. So if Washington can't expose where Oregon struggles, which is defending big play, Oregon's outside the top 100 and tackling on defense. I said it a billion times. They can't defend the rush. They're good at pressuring the quarterback. They can't defend the rush. So, you know, if Washington can't expose that and get to the second level, their scoring is going to be light. I'm going to bet the angle of Oregon over 28 and a half. I know it's a slower tempo game, and I know that there's not going to be explosive plays on the ground, but I don't think Cristobal is a very happy person right now. So I'm not expecting anybody to be taking knees or Cristobal doesn't know how to take knees. So I'm no, not that's true. Get, yeah. I might be able to get a back door if he's up 10 and doesn't know how to take knees. By the I way, think- Kent State, take knees. I'm taking team total over 20 and a half. I'm not going to conflict with your Washington plus seven, but the offense with John Donovan worries me. That's all. We shall see. I'm actually looking forward to that one, especially because I have a. We both have the North, to, right? Yeah. yeah. To win the North, which yeah. uh, I, I was, I wrote off and I, then I look at the standings <laughs> and I'm like, Oh wait. All right. Let's move on to our second marquee game of the day here. Texas A&M has looked better in recent weeks, although the competition hasn't been great. Hosting Auburn. Auburn fresh off that win that we talked about earlier against Ole Miss, but it was a yeah, undermanned Ole Miss team. These two teams still have a shot to win the SEC West. Texas A&M already beat Alabama. Auburn will get to play Alabama later in the year. So there's still a lot to be determined. Texas A&M, four and a half point favorite here. This line is dipped out of three and a half, up to four, four and a half. Over under 49 has dipped down a few points. I think I saw you put in a bet on the app on the under 24 first half. I took up half the podcast. I'm going to watch this defense. I will let you talk this one. I just need a push here. So this is just a gentle shove. And I think I'm going to be joining you on this under because that was my lean here. Yeah, Texas A&M, they're off a bye. They went heavy rush their past two games. I know the level of competition isn't exactly Alabama, but they've had twice as many running plays as they have passing games. And that's by design. When you have – a Shane and Spiller, they rank two of the top 20 FBS backs by PFF in the category of elusiveness, which means these guys are about impossible to take down. You're lucky to have one back in the top 20. AM has two. And I mean, we're talking like Zamir White, like teams at Auburn has faced, like they have not seen a running back this great. AM's got two of them. Jimbo mentioned this week, he got he got to his presser off the bye week that my offense now has an identity, and that is heavy run. Calzada throwing into a great Auburn secondary, that's just going to be limited to play action pass on third downs, and that's after they've completely set up the run so that they can get this secondary to bite. I don't think you're going to get Roger McCreary 
uh, at the corner to bite. I don't think you're going to get smoked Monday. It's a very good secondary that that's yeah, McCurry has been awesome. Yeah. And the four, two, five defense, the defense that, that Derek Mason is calling is a really great secondary, uh, multiple schemes. I don't think Jimbo wants Calzada throwing into that unless it's like third and 18. And even then it might be a swing pass over to a Shane or Spiller. So I just, I don't see a lot from Calzada coming out of this game and that's by design. Are you kidding me? Who gives a shit? We got Zach Calzada. So as far as Bo Nix goes, Bo Nix season in full effect. He's got to look at this four, two, five defense of Texas A&M. Uh, they're 14th against the explosive pass. They're sixth in defensive finishing drives. Texas A&M's top 20 in coverage, and Jimbo spoke of what makes Bo Nix special in these games. When he does his little scramble routine, his little spin snake move, like delayed bootleg type thing, that he has coached, Mike Elko and Jimbo have coached the defense all week about the zones on the field you have to cover when Bo Nix gets loose. And I thought that was, I mean, one of the most intelligent things I've heard about how to defend Bo Nix when all shit breaks loose, because it does. And then Bo Nix does all this crazy stuff and boom, you have a pass, right? So that's why I like the under because Jimbo and Elko have a plan with 425 to disguise pre-snap and to fill the zones where Bo Nix likes to throw when he scrambles. Parsons expected to stick to a balanced approach with Bigsby and Hunter right into the Tamu front seven instead of testing the secondary. Uh, Brian Harson's like hellbent on having a balanced attack. Jimbo wants to own time of possession stat. It's like his mantra. It's, it's everything. If he had a Twitter banner profile, it'd say, I want to own the clock. They're 96th in tempo. Auburn's fifth in defensive passing downs explosiveness. They're going to limit big plays against A-Shane and Spiller. They're going to limit what Calzada does with the play action pass. I took under first half, 48 and 47, very key. So 49, 50 and a half on the board. Those are good unders. Under 49 is good. I lean Texas A&M here, but I power rate at minus two. So I can't get up into this dead number, this five and a half, four. I think it's way too much. Uh, I'm not really exactly looking to back Auburn. I will if I had to, but I think the under is just a much better play. A&M off a bye. Give me first half under. Auburn coming off, you know, a consecutive amount of games on the road in a big spot. First half under. I agree with you, and I'm, I'm going to be joining you. I'm down for the under. You know another reason? Because of punters from down under. Both of these teams have excellent punters from Australia who can boom the ball. Les so Miles I think start that, that? Les Miles started that trend, the, the Aussie punter. Yeah, the Aussie punter. So they, they both have who have huge legs. So I think the, I agree. I think that both these defenses have some advantages, and you're not going to see too many explosive plays. You're going to see each team be pretty conservative early. Lots of punts in the first half and big punts to flip field position. So uh, I agree with you there. And, you know, we're going to get right. to another team, another SEC team off a of bye, but these SEC teams that get the bye week and come off of it, they look excellent. They get a week of rest. They look fantastic. All right, let's move on to our third marquee game of the day. Michigan State currently in the college football playoff, in the first four of the college football playoff, will travel to Purdue. And Purdue is a three-point home underdog over under 53. This could have been a look, this could have been a look ahead or look away segment, just from a horrible situational spot. Michigan State now in the college football playoff rankings, top four for the first time. They come back to beat their in-state rival, and now they go to Purdue, who we've known has knocked off some big teams at home in their day. I love Purdue this okay. weekend. Probably my favorite bet. 
look, bad spot for Michigan State. Agree. Michigan State, I don't I don't know where all this love is coming from. This is a team that should have lost to Nebraska if they don't get a punt return for a touchdown at 10 yards in the second half. It's a team that should have lost to Indiana and and Jack Tuttle. If they don't get a pick six, they won 20 to 15. They were outgained by Indiana's poverty offense. This is a team that was down 30 to 14 in the in the second half to Michigan and gave up 600 yards of offense and were outgained by almost 200 yards. Oh, and in Miami, they, you know, they the scoreboard looks lopsided. Miami didn't want to tackle that day. Huge fourth quarter. They had a 20% win probability at one point in that game. They could, they could have four losses easily right now. So uh, I think this Michigan State team is overvalued in the market. Kenneth Walker has been amazing, but, you know, Purdue, top 25 success rate against the run, EPA per run. Their defense has been really good. And I think that they can pretty much sell out here and stop Walker because I don't think Jalen Naylor is going to play, which is huge. He leads the team in receiving touchdowns as their deep threat. He didn't play in the second half last week. He was in a cast. I think he's out. And, and on the other side of the ball, Purdue can't run it. So throw, throw, throw that out. They're not running it here. They can't run against anybody. What is Purdue? It's a short passing attack, quick passing attack, headlined by David Bell. What does Michigan State do poorly? They can't stop the pass. And they know that their corners aren't great. So they play really soft coverage. I think they're giving up their completion percentage allowed is 90th in the country. Well, what does Purdue do? Short passes. They can eat all day down the field. Now, Michigan State's bend don't break and Purdue has trouble in the red zone because they can't run the ball. That could be a factor here. But I'm getting three with the home team that I think has some advantages on both sides of the ball in a great spot. Give me the boilers. Plus three. Love it. <laughs> yeah, well, I love it too. The price point is what scares the hell out of me. So I project this game at four. I got to get out of my head with these numbers sometimes and step back. We've talked about this before. You just, if you're a math guy and you're chained to a spreadsheet, sometimes you got to step back and take the temperature of the room. And I feel like I need to do that with this Purdue team. Question is, can Purdue stop Kenneth Walker the third? Purdue's 44th in tackling. That means they can get him in space. They're 26 in defensive rushing success rate. They can stop him at the line of scrimmage. Walker's rated. We talked about elusive backs with Texas A&M having two of them. Walker is the number one rated most elusive back in all of PFF's ratings. You just can't bring them down. So, you know, the Boilermakers are a much better pass rush unit with George Kalaftis. They're 10th in Havoc. They're 17th in pass rush. So Purdue is, you know, 93rd in defensive stuff rate. So I think Walker has a bigger chance of explosive plays than Peyton Thorne throwing to Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor. And I think that's where this love, this fascination with Mitch. I think Naylor's out. I think Naylor's going to be out. But if he's out, I mean, that kind of brings this point to a head, which is people are falling in love with the Spartans because they love the explosive play. Michigan had explosive plays and explosive drives, and they're not an explosive team whatsoever. Cade McNamara doubled the national average in explosive drives against the Spartans defense. They averaged 10 and a half yards per play in passing downs. Michigan did. Aiden O'Connell to David Bell is like, a, it's a real threat. I mean, if Cade McNamara is averaging 10 and a half yards in passing downs, what's Aiden O'Connell to David Bell going to do? And, you know, when you fall in love with these explosive teams, I, 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 see, I keep referencing this piece that I wrote in the summer. You can't base your against the spread stuff on, explo- on teams that are explosive or can stop explosive plays or have an explosive offense. It's just there's no against the spread value. I'm with you in this game. I don't know why I just can't lay it on the three. It's just some sort of like I got to step out of the spreadsheet and just accept the fact that Purdue is winning this game. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm higher on Purdue and lower on Michigan State than most i mean i have this as like a pick so i think purdue out right here michigan state's luck is going to come to an end here 
And by the way, in people saying in, in people are making the, the dumbest arguments for who who deserves to be in the top four. It's like, <laughs> well, Alabama should be in there because they're the best team, and they'd be fourteen point favorites over Cincy. Well, they they probably wouldn't, but all right. Well, then why is Michigan State in there? They'd be fourteen point underdogs to Ohio State. Yeah, they gotta love the illogical art. Be consistent. All right, if we're putting the best teams in there, then who cares what happens? My only beef is with Cincy getting shafted. This is a year that you'd yeah. want a Cincy in, and then Alabama's losses don't matter. But right. anyway, we'll ca- we'll cash the ele- under eleven and a half win total happily at the end of the year. All right, moving on to the final marquee matchup of the weekend: undefeated Wake Forest, Woo. two and a half point underdog in Chapel Hill against four and four North Carolina. Most people thought those records would be flipped coming into the year. Sam Hartman has been unbelievable. Wake Forest defense hasn't been that great. They've had a couple high wire escape backs against uh, Syracuse was the one that comes to mind about a month ago, but they're still late now. They're in control of their own destiny. Maybe if they went out, they get into the college football. I need a lot of help there, but you got to love Sam Hartman. He's playing really well. Is this a good spot to buy UNC low? Been a really weird team to figure out on a week-to-week basis. Been very up and down. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be really up for this game. And they're only laying two and a half at home. I mean, this number before the season oof, would have been a lot higher. But Wake has obviously exceeded expectations. And North Carolina has been disappointing. What do you see here? Yeah, this was a game I was shocked. I mean, when I did the numbers on Sunday and it came out, I, I had this North Carolina minus five and a half in the Action Network power ratings. I was just like, wait a minute, this this can't be correct. And I think sometime on Sunday night, I noticed that SP Plus makes this game North Carolina minus four. So, I mean, if you trust our two power rating systems, North Carolina is the play without even staring at it. So, you know, the total I make about 73, that thing's up there in the 70s. Total sky high, 77. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a Mac game, right? So I, I don't know. The, the, the market is screaming right now. UNC minus two and a half. A lot of tickets coming in, but the bigger handle is coming in on North Carolina. I think a lot of sharp money likes North Carolina because the question is, have they found their legs on offense? It's been a one loss, one win schedule since mid-September. Win one, lose one, win one, lose one. But the heels are running the ball exceptionally well as of late. 63% success rate running in the loss against Notre Dame. On the season, there's 61% success rate on the ground, averaging 6.4 yards per play. That is huge numbers on the ground. That's an issue for Wake Forest. We That was the handicap with Army. Wake Forest can't defend the run. 120th in line yards. You know, their success rate through the air against the pass and against the rush is dreadful. I mean, if they make the college football playoff, it's going to be gross. UNC can expose this. They're 35th in offensive finishing drives. They can move the ball. They can score six every time. Now, what's not positive is this UNC defense is holding Wake from scoring on every drive. UNC allowed 44 points to Notre Dame. We've said enough about their offense. They allowed 42 to Miami, the Tyler Van Dyke special, uh, 35 to Florida State in recent games. So, I mean, UNC is the play for the simple fact that, A, the power rating indicates it, B, the market value indicates it, C, there's an element that North Carolina can run the ball and control the clock. Now, I'm not saying Phil Longo is trying to, like, give up tempo and drain clock. I've never seen Phil Longo do that. But if you're not laying UNC minus two and a half or taking the money line, this could be the greatest live trading game of the day. Similar to Kent and Northern Illinois last night. I mean, you, you, you know the score is going to be up that high. It's a great live trading game. That's what I was going to say. Whoever you like on this side or if you just want to trade it, just wait live. There's going to be a yeah. points. Um, but it should be a very entertaining game between two excellent quarterbacks. All right. That'll wrap up our marquee matchups of the weekend. Great stuff there. Let's move on to the rundown. 
let's bring in a couple other games here. Let's go back and forth. I'll, I can bring up one. You can bring up one. I'll start with uh, one. I think you'll agree with one with Tennessee. Played some Tennessee plus one. Like them to minus one. If they're making some adjustments this week and for the spot, I actually make this tad over Tennessee minus three. Kentucky, look, they left Lexington undefeated in charge of their own destiny in the SEC and Cosmo playoff. Well, they lost to Georgia. Then they go to Mississippi State. They lose that. They come back with two losses. Meanwhile, Tennessee's off of a bye. They're looking to avenge a loss from last year, an embarrassing home loss to Kentucky. They got healthier. Hooker's healthier now. And Kentucky is just beat up. I mean, Chris Rodriguez, who's the – the straw that stirs the drink for their offense. He's hurt. We had two, we had, couldn't even hold on to the ball last week. McQuall, their, their other defensive tackle still is not ready to come back. <clears throat> they already lost one of their other best defensive tackles for the season. They had a linebacker, a corner lead the game last week. They're just really beat up across the board. But one of their best offensive linemen left and went to the locker room, Darren Rosenthal. There's just a beat up unit. Tennessee's much fresher, much healthier. Because of the defensive tackle injuries, the Kentucky run defense has been slipping. The pass defense isn't great. Hooker can take advantage of that. Uh, I think Tennessee pulls out a win here. Yeah, 100%. Bulls outright in this game. I saw I missed the three. So I said, you know, I'm just going to take money line early in the week. I think they win this game. Injuries on the roster for Kentucky. This is sort of a revenge spot for some of the players on the Tennessee team, although I think the entire team is in the transfer portal. But you know, the Wildcats want to run the game, want to run the entire game and drain clock. But, you know, Hooker and, and Josh Heupel's fastest offense in the nation on the field. Uh, the offensive line has gotten healthy. Kentucky's 124th in defensive passing success rate. Mississippi State took advantage of that. Best bet last week, one easy. Uh, you know, Tennessee had issues with protection, but Kentucky pass rush is just not there. Like you said, uh, you know, no explosive plays, but opponents are moving the chains all day against Kentucky's defense. That's a bad combination against a Tennessee team that excels in finishing drives. I'm with you. Bowles. I love these SEC teams off a bye. Yeah, I think Tennessee's still not being properly accounted for in the market with Hooker. Some of their numbers are depressed when they had Milton in there. Uh, Another game, I think I'm going to end up playing this game. This is dicey, but I think I'm going to play Nebraska, plus 15 against Ohio State. Nebraska is a very odd team, but you cannot back them as a favorite. They still continue to make mistakes and turn it over and find ways to lose games, but they're a very good underdog. They can, they have great players on defense. They can move the ball on offense. They're three and O's against the spread as an underdog this year could have won all three games against three teams that are now in the top eight of the college football playoff. Two of them on the road hung with Oklahoma in Norman till the end should have beat Michigan state should have beat Michigan. Give me 14 and a half here for their Super Bowl. This is their Super Bowl now. Need to win for bowl eligibility. Can ruin Ohio State's season. They've lost three straight. They could have won all three of those games, by the way. It's just what Nebraska does. But over two touchdowns, I think that's like that's this is when you play this Nebraska team. And what did we learn last week? Ohio State made the play calling change. We said, okay, we haven't really been able to see if the defense is that improved because they were playing cupcakes and they played Indiana's four-string quarterback. Well, we saw last week. The pass defense is still bad. Penn State was, you know, 400 yards passing, 11 of 16 on third down. You could still move the ball in this Ohio State defense. I think this is a touch high. I need over two touchdowns, but I think it's a good spot for Nebraska. And it's just an odd team. Don't never take them as a favorite. Only back them as a dog. And uh, maybe they're due to not make mistakes. But I'm I'm gonna be playing Nebraska here. Nebraska six losses on the season by a combined 33 points. That tells you the covering 14 and a half. Everyone by one possession. Yep. Yeah. It tells you that there, I mean, this, this shouldn't be an issue covering this kind of spread. 
And if you believe that Adrian Martinez can expose the defense for the Buckeyes at 73rd in coverage and 111th in passing down success rate, Nebraska is going to move the ball when they get behind schedule. If you invest in Nebraska, you have to worry about the Buckeyes ranking of eighth in defensive havoc. And that's where I get a little tentative stuck. I mean, just taking the ball away from Martinez has been too easy this year. Four offensive turnovers last week against Purdue. I'm not going to get in the way of the Buckeyes team that's going to try to get in the top four of the college football playoff, but you're right. This is Scott Frost absolutely making an exit from Nebraska with a loss here. They already have six losses. This will put them at seven. Uh, no postseason. Uh, Nebraska is going to play all out. I think possibly this might be a first half play for me on Nebraska, maybe a money line play. I agree with you that Nebraska is a side and they've choked late in games. Huge spread. You can't handicap injuries and turnovers. And that has just been the hardest thing with Adrian Martinez all these years. Yeah. I mean, but you also say Ohio, like this is a noon kick for Ohio State off the pen. And you say they want to get into the top four of the college. I think they know that if they just win out, they're in. I mean, Michigan State's out of them and they're going to play them. And if they win the Big Ten, they're in. So I don't think Ohio, Ohio State's worried about running it up. They're going to get Oregon to take a loss. If Oregon and both yeah. and then went out, they're both going to get in, I think. So yeah. I don't think that they're that too worried about it. All right. Uh, LSU, Alabama here. Uh, who cares? Uh, LSU has no, no players left. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this about an LSU-Alabama game. Alabama's minus 20 and a half. I think it may get like 26, but I'm not betting LSU. I lean the under. Maybe I'll play the under here, under 67. I think it's a touch high, but – you know, Alabama's not explosive, but they're probably going to score on most drives, just marching it down the field. What are you going to get from LSU, though? They don't, they can't run it. So, I mean, are they throwing picks and just throwing it all over the field? That's the scary part about the under. I, I mean, makes sense of this game. I got nothing here. I project Bama minus 24 and the injuries on the LSU defense and the possibility of Doug Neusmeyer getting more snaps from Max Johnson, you know, is maybe what's beefing this lineup a little bit. Or the fact that Saban just has an axe to grind against Coach O after the 2019 season and the Joe Burrow perfection and just wants to rub it in. But, you know, Doug Neusmeyer getting more snaps, the freshman, is likely because they don't want him to transfer. Now, I'm not sure whose call that is, if that's Coach O's call or what, but Neusmeyer got some plays in last week. Now, he's got a cannon for an arm, but he's wild. Like, he'll try to throw it into windows, Brett Favre style, that, you know, it's just not there. So, we'll see, you know, what Alabama can do with that, but... You know, Saban off the bye, focusing on two different areas of explosiveness. The defense is fifth in line yards, and that's good enough to stop the LSU rush defense that awakened against Florida, kind of went dormant again. Saban mentioned that the deep ball is getting focused now in practice. Bryce Young has been limited in deep passing. I believe Stucky calls him captain Checkdown. Some of that is a pass blocking rate of 60th. If LSU can get a pass rush off of a depleted defensive line, uh, you know, Young will start to look downfield instead of checking down to, to Mechie or Williams. But Saban made it a point in his press conference. It's time for us to start throwing downfield. And I want that to be a part, an element of our offense. Bama's fourth in offensive finishing drives. LSU defensively outside the top 100. That defense will let anybody score a touchdown. I don't think Saban has forgotten 2019. I know you would like to some kind of way extract something out of this pie that's not there. It's not there. You all speculate and create things, and then you want people to respond to it. Team total over, first half over, especially with Saban coming out and saying that the deep pass needs to be a part of our repertoire and we need to start working on that. Why did you push yourself? I think it, oof, it is bad to be an LSU team. So give me some overs. Give me some Bama team totals overs. An awful LSU-Bama matchup. We, by the way, we've gotten – you've already talked to Arkansas hoops. We haven't talked Arkansas football off of a bye, five and a half point favorite at home against Leach and Will Rogers, who was rolling after the Alabama game. What do you want, 38 of 41 yeah. against Kentucky? 
Anything on your hogs and misstate? Woo pig suey. I haven't made a play yet. I mean, there's one thing that really bothers me about the Razorbacks. You know, they're coming off a buy. I project a minus eight in this game. That should give value on what's a dead number right now in the market. Uh, total of 52. The number on the board is higher than that. Uh, I really wanted to get an over on this game. And the, and the big reason for that is that our star safety, Jalen Catalan, he's out with a shoulder. Out for the year. Yeah. And that is a monster loss because Miles Slusher is going to come in and step in. He is not near the vocal captain in the secondary that Catalan is. And that gives me pause against a Mississippi State you know, dink and dunk offense that Will Rogers is just going to throw on all day. Now, Barry Odom was given credit for the whole rush three, drop eight. Uh, I think Leach has seen it enough. They know how to attack that. And the question is, is, is Ridgeway and Trey Williams? You saw it with Kentucky and just shredded it. Yeah, they shredded it. And Ridgeway and Trey Williams trying to get pressure. This is not last season where Bo Pelini in the opening game, Bo Pelini for LSU decided to stay in man and allow the air raid to tear him apart. And then Arkansas ran this, you know, rush three and just tore, you know, Costello up. This is different. This Mississippi State offensive line is protecting Will Rogers really well. That air raid is running to perfection. I'm a little tentative without Jalen Catalan in that secondary against Mississippi State. If Arkansas is going to score, it's not going to be on the ground. I want the over coming off of a bye, but Mississippi State isn't exactly explosive, but Jalen Catalan is in there. So, you know, keep your eyes on the app. I'm either going to back Arkansas or I'm going to back an over. Could be split for staff, could be full game. I'd say just keep your eyes open. But the Catalan thing really bothers me when backing Arkansas because we saw this last year. Bumper Pool went out, Grant Morgan went out, and all of a sudden every team put a 50-burger up on Arkansas. So it gives me a little pause. By the way, we have to talk about the Super Bowl, the best game on the board. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. Everyone's talking about LSU Alabama at night. Who cares? We have UTSA at UTEP. UTEP is an 11-point home dog over under sitting 51-52 range. What do you got here for the game of the weekend? We have to pick one of our favorite children, right? That meat, I, meat versus uh, uh, pizza party. <laughs> Stuck. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, you and I have been celebrating the life of the Roadrunners since they became FBS members. Meep, meep. And we have nurtured uh, UTEP from multiple winless seasons up into this juggernaut of a bull team that they've turned into. And now we have to divide uh, and pick one. How pissed off is UTSA after the college football playoff snub? I, we don't know. You know, Trailer is a great coach. He got his contract renewed. It's going to be pretty expensive for a power five program to come in and pick him off as a head coach. Uh, UTSA has the same goal every game. They want to run it down people's throat. 58% rush rate, not the best success rate in the world, but they're 14th in havoc allowed. They don't make mistakes. They're 31st in line yards. They can move the ball and standard down, stay on schedule. They've been excellent passing downs. Frank Harris at quarterback, they're 16th in passing down success rate. Um, you know, they're top 20 in passing success rate. They're just, everything moves with this offense. And that is a big Achilles heel to what is an outstanding UTEP defense. They have a coverage rank of 71st and UTEP's 95th against the explosive pass. So I want to make a case for UTEP. I mean, the biggest issue backing UTEP in this game is their strength of record. That reflects the chance that an average top 25 team would have the same record or better. UTSA, 11th in strength of record. UTEP, 117th. So when I look at these UTEP defensive numbers, I love you, Minor Nation, but you put these up against Bethune-Cookman, who put up 28, Boise State, who put up 54, 
Schedule includes Old Dominion, Southern Miss, La Tech. You flip over to UTSA and you got wins against Western Kentucky, Memphis, Illinois. I mean, better victories. So, you know, just by strength of record alone, the UTSA defense is the difference in this game. UTEP a heavy rush, but they're 124th in success rate. They just – they seem it's amazing how good their passing offense has been. I mean, they run it a lot. So, but they they had McCormick, which was the all right. This is going to be the star of the show. But no, it's the passing offense. Yeah, and and I think one thing that I'm focusing on is that when UTEP scores their points and bunches, it comes in the fourth quarter. It comes in the second half. It's never like they come out guns blazing. You know, even in, against New Mexico State. So this is a UTSA play for me. I think I might cut it up and do a first half, though. I the, the whole college football playoff snub, the advantages that I see against the UTEP defense, I think it's a first half play because UTEP has proven against multiple teams in the fourth quarter they can get 18 points up on the board real fast. I don't know where it comes from. I love you, Minor Nation, but this instant offense that comes in the fourth quarter, that's why we love you, but I'm going to try to avoid it and probably go UTSA first half here. They love covering. Um, they've been certainly good at that. We'll go quickly here for a couple other games. Just one sentence. I'll give you Missouri. Only team in the country is yet to cover at Georgia, Georgia, 39 point favorite. I mean, I make this a little lower. I show value on Missouri, but no thanks. I mean, Missouri's run defense is historically bad. So Georgia can just hand it off here and who knows how much they can put up. By the way, Georgia's defense is in non-garbage time possessions, non-garbage time drives, allowing 0.32 points per drive. Alabama, in 2011, considered maybe the best defense ever, allowed 0.5, around 0.32. Yeah. Now, there's going to be some regression in the scoring. I mean, like Florida, how many drives did they get down to the 20 and not score? But, I mean, this Georgia defense is uh, historically good. No, I have no interest in Missouri. 39 is way too large, but once you look at the fact that Connor Bazelak had an injury, left the game, and now Drinkwitz yeah. being mum about who the quarterback is, if Connor Bazelak was in there – I would consider 39, especially because I make it like 33, and I think SP Plus is at 29. But then I go and remember what Georgia did against Vanderbilt. Uh, no thanks. So I'm going to step out of this. I, I would consider with Bazelot. Texas, Iowa State, Iowa State six and a half point favorite. Is the monkey a distraction? Is the monkey a rallying point? Anything here? I, I Listen, we have players getting into altercations with Sark, getting kicked off the team. Uh, we've got special teams, uh, coaches that make a million dollars. Listen, people, if you've not gotten into this monkey story, uh, is possibly some of the best entertainment that I've seen in college football. I mean, just the whole scenario around the monkey's owner and how the owner came into the special team coordinator's life, uh, the history behind that. Uh, the monkey's part of the stripping act. The monkey is on the pole. The monkey kisses the money, wears a diaper and climbs the stripper pole. Find me a better entertainment value nba i'm so tired of hearing how the nba is the most dramatic league i have a monkey on a pole all right come on nba try to live up to that Uh, said he's only hiring uh men of high morality and character (laughs) um the prairie skies are wide and high deep in the heart of texas uh, over oh over over here right yeah the texas defense is just not getting any better uh, give me an over here. Any other games you want to mention? I'll throw out um, Navy autoplay. Navy over two touchdowns. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I took the over. I don't care if they're playing. Um, yeah. Navy plus 21. I don't care if they are playing Georgia. If they're catching, I mean, obviously, I'm beginning a lot more. Navy over two touchdowns. Service Academy over two touchdowns. 
undefeated so far this year. Auto, auto, auto. Don't care if it loses. It's like 65% historically and should continue to do so until the market drastically reacts to these to the service academies. But uh, you like the over there? I do like the over there with Navy. Uh, something has clicked with them. It just wasn't a fluke against Cincinnati. Uh, they are actually getting, you know, some form of success rate with the triple option. Uh, so, yes, I agree with you over. I, I do like Navy, too. Uh, I'm going to pivot off into the the other service academy game, Army and Air Force going up against each other. I took over 37, Stuck. I know. Oh, man. I know. I know. And years ago, you and I, like, this was like, I mean, this was huge for you and me. I mean, we these bookmakers, these Ozmakers would throw out 55, and we would just pound that shit down to 42, right? And now we're opening 37, you know? And, and so when, I, when, when you break this game down, I'm not going to sit here and hide behind the spreadsheet and say, yeah, I make this 44 and a half. But I will tell you that these teams have very strong offensive finishing drives compared to their defensive counterparts. Army, 13th in offensive finishing drives, 46th on the Air Force defense. Air Force, 36th in offensive finishing drives. Army, 110th in defensive finishing drives. So both teams are going to have success running the ball. Uh, Air Force has just been a machine running the ball. Army is going to be able to run the ball for whatever that's worth. I don't know about the status of Christian Anderson, but these two teams fold in the red zone. They fold when it gets within the 40. 37, what, what is that? What is that? That's a, it's 17 to 14, and then there's a sneeze, and it goes over. I mean, it's not hard to get over 37. We saw that with uh, Wisconsin and Iowa. So, yeah, over for me on 37. It's just different when service academies play each other. I can't, I can't get on board with you there. because 37? Service academy betting religion. Conversation last year that someday these totals would be opening in the 30s, and we'd have to start playing overs. Where did that Stucky go? Where'd that guy go? You're gonna play this down. I need, I need lower. I need. I need like 33 to go over here. Um, <laughs> I make this 34. No joke. All right. Good. Let's talk stick of the week. Let's talk the smelliest, fishiest line of the week. Smell it. Smell it. Smell it. It's the smell. It's quite pungent. Dude, plug your nose. It stinks. This is your stink of the week. Uh, the one that I was going to throw out, I mean, I like it. I like the other side, but I, I could see a lot of people looking at Michigan State and saying, oh, no, they're only minus three on the road against Purdue. Uh, how about you? What's the smelliest, smelliest line of the week? Easy. Easy. This one was on the board. I was like, what is this? Old Dominion favored by three on the road to Florida International. Old Dominion's that lost 10 so straight on the road. They're one and 15 straight up on the road since 2018. That win was over a three and nine Western Kentucky team. <laughs> None of these players were on that team in 2018. This team can't win on the road. And then I go and I pull Florida international splits, Butch Davis has seven losses. There's no chance of making a bowl. I'm not sure what's being played for here, but old dominion favored on the road in an FBS game stink. Big stink. I, I, I'm probably going to end up playing Florida International. I'm not going to like it. I am going to watch it, and I'm probably going to hate myself every second. But Old Dominion on the road. Come on. Smelly. Um, all right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, uh, first down, we got Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. We have Virginia Tech at Boston College. Boston College is a three-point home underdog. Virginia Tech off of a win at Georgia Tech. Helped our Georgia Tech season win total under. What a roller coaster that's been. Boston College slipping here. You're seeing 
lately the impact of the injury to Phil Djokovic, their star quarterback. Does BC get right here on Friday night? I think it's a red bandana game. So the it, it the is a red crowd bandana. should be crowd should be pretty good here. Yeah, it is a red bandana game. You always back BC in the red bandana game. I, it's a game that I project as a pick. Virginia Tech. A, <laughs> Uh, there are some numbers that they have that are really bad. Their offensive finishing drives 115th. Their defense is 125th in defending explosive runs. I'm not saying Boston College can expose some of these things, but Boston College's defense is 12th in defensive finishing drives. I think they're going to do a great job. And listen, it's November. Jeff Halfley needs two wins to get to a bowl. And there's not that many of these four games left. This is one that he has to have. Red bandana game to get him to five wins. It's, I mean, this is a really big deal. Boston College is 10th in pass coverage. Uh, they're 15th in tackling. They can get it in open space. I think Virginia Tech's a little bit overrated here. I'm not alone. I think SP Plus makes this around two. So, that yeah. Boston, close to a pick, too. Yeah, so Boston College here for me, just grin and bear. But, I mean, Halfway's a great coach. I think Justin Fuente is on his way out. Uh, there's some real phony numbers here with Virginia Tech that can be exposed. I think I'll join you there on Friday night. The other game, Utah-Stanford. Utah's a, up to a nine-point favorite. On the road at Stanford, there's questions about if Tanner McKee will play. If he's not playing, it could get ugly fast. Might get ugly anyway. What do you see here? Yeah, it's a projection of eight, uh, and that was if McKee was playing. Uh, so that definitely makes – yeah, it's a big impact. Uh, Stanford, when he wasn't playing early in the season, was living up to everything that we saw in the under four-and-a-half wins. Uh, there are some really bad numbers offensively that McKee is holding up. Uh, the best attribute that Stanford has on offense is that they're 21st in big play percentage. Uh, and, and, you know, that's just not going to be there without, without McKee. So absolutely for a Utah defense, it's top 25 in defensive havoc. They are going to go crazy on a Stanford offense that is really struggling to, to, you know, maintain they're terrible in havoc allowed They're terrible. They're bottom 10 in line yards. They're 105th in offensive finishing drives. Utah defense will have a good time against that. And then if you look at the other side of the ball, Stanford's defense is just dreadful. 117th in defensive havoc, almost dead last in line yards. That is the handicap of the game because Utah is a fantastic team at running the ball, uh, top 15 in line yards, and that's what's going to expose Stanford. So, yeah, I agree. If McKee's out, there's no there's no limit to this number. I'd probably stop buying at 13. All right, let's move on to second down. Talk our favorite overdogs and underdogs. For those not familiar, overdogs are favorite favorite on the board. I'll start favorite overdog. I think I might lay it here with Cincy. Cincy minus 22 and a half. There's some, I think there's some value on the tails with Cincinnati because, you know, there's a distribution of outcomes and these lines assume, I don't think it's being built into the fact that, look, Cincy wants to run up the score. The last two weeks, they haven't been in a position to do so. But when they have been, you know, normally when you're a team up 20, you're going to play soft defense. You're not trying to score. That impacts, you know, how easier difficult it is to cover a, you know a touchdown over three a spread over three touchdowns but in this case if since he's up 24 late they don't want Tulsa to score Tulsa's been dreadful by the way and they want to keep scoring especially after getting snubbed in the college football playoff since he wants to come out here and raise middle fingers up to everyone in the in the country and and college football playoff ESPN tried to get Desmond Ritter on that on the show he wouldn't go I mean this is a pissed off Cincy team against what looks like a lame duck Tulsa team this year. I'm sure Tulsa will get up for this early to try and ruin Cincy's season, but if they get behind, this one could could get ugly quick. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you there. I was going to go Oregon on my overdog, and then you talked me out of it. You completely talked me out of it, and I don't like the weather, so I'm going to change my overdog 
I'm going to go with Michigan. Nobody loves Go Dog Jim. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. Yeah, nobody loves bullying teams that are beat up, injured, that are struggling than Bodog Jim. And considering that he finished seventh in the college football playoff rankings, uh, style points matter. Michigan is at home. Indiana, you can just kind of, uh, you can pop them out for any postseason play. Too many injuries. Never got the offense going. Now the defense is starting to sag a little bit. Michigan is going to do everything they can to get the committee's attention with this score uh, overdog, Michigan. All right. Time to move on to our favorite Moneyline underdog. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Colin, you hit again last week. I got I to gotta pick it up here. There's uh, not much to say here for me. Purdue. Purdue is ending Sparty's dream run. What do you got? I, I waited as long as I could. I, I still don't think I've put a play in the app, and I still haven't shoved money over the counter. Uh, but the team that I want is Memphis. Uh, SMU is – well, first off, I'm not going to play the whole Sonny Dykes is desperately wanted by TCU and by Texas Tech, and Sonny Dykes is on his way out of SMU, which is, is – you know, I don't think that's a part of the handicap. The handicap really is that SMU's defense is getting worse at tackling 123rd. They're getting worse at pass coverage 127th. We need freshman Seth Hennigan back in at Memphis at quarterback. Peter Parrish, you know, filled in uh, a quarterback for Seth Hennigan last week with an injury. Wasn't fantastic, but it's still a passing offense, an explosive passing offense that can take advantage of this SMU defense that is just absolutely falling apart. SMU is also outside the top 100. Uh, and, and SP plus special teams, uh, a lot of issues here. Now, Tanner Mordecai and the offense can still sling it. I expect this to be a shootout, but there is a massive difference in tackling here. Memphis top 25, SMU near dead last. And that is important when you are having an explosive game where teams are going up and down the field. Uh, if Seth Hennigan is in this game, that's even better. Uh, there was mention that Memphis uh, changed some things for Peter Parrish and they expect a lot more out of him this week if he is the starter. And again, can still play. Um, that freshman kid's got a heck of an arm on him. I'm going to go Memphis here. Moneyline underdog. Um, we're going to get this with Purdue. Yeah, they could. you could have a little bit of a letdown, too, for SMU after that uh, thrilling, heartbreaking loss in that game against Houston last week. Yeah. To end their undefeated campaign. Um, all right, before we get out of here, third down, our favorite bet of the weekend. Uh, I'll start here. Shocker, we're going Purdue. Uh, this is a Purdue podcast this week. Boiler up. Look, I mentioned it earlier, Purdue plus three at home against Michigan State. First of all, it's a bad spot for Michigan State. Just potential letdown. They're, you know, hey, look, we're in the top four of the college football playoff. We had an emotional comeback win over our in-state rival. This is a team that got outplayed by Michigan. Should have lost that game. Got outplayed by Nebraska. Should have lost that game. Could have lost to Indiana. Got outgained in that game. And their backup quarterback. You know, they're getting all these non-offensive touchdowns at key points in time. Even in Miami, needed a big fourth quarter. Team could have four losses. I also like the matchup for Purdue. Purdue's defense has been one of the most underrated units in the country. New staff has you know, implemented a more aggressive defense. I think that they can key on Walker. They've been good against the run. Top 30 success rate in EPA per rush. And I don't think you're going to see Jalen Naylor out there, the star receiver for Michigan State. That will help. On the other side of the ball, Michigan State's biggest weakness this year has been in coverage. And as a result, they're playing 
really soft. That plays right into Purdue's hands. David Bell should have a big day. This quick, short passing attack of Purdue. I think it's going to move the ball. Awful spot for Michigan State. We've seen Purdue pull off some upsets in similar spots in the past under Brom. I think they do it again. Give me the Boilermakers and a shot and a beer to go with it on Saturday afternoon. Purdue? Fucking Purdue? They're not even a real school. What the hell's a Purdue? Yeah, I agree with you. I like that play. Uh, and I'm going to go follow up with my best bet. Let's go a little G5 action. Let's go Marshall, Florida Atlantic. Right now on the board, 57 and a half, 58. Let's take the over on that number. Take it up to 59, 59, one of the biggest key numbers in all of college football. So you'll want to get south of that with this overplay. First, you start off, you look at the tempo. Uh, Marshall is fifth in the nation in plays per minute. Florida Atlantic, 30th in plays per minute. These two teams, Willie Taggart, uh, Charles Huff, they want to go up and down the field as fast as possible. Uh, this is a number that I project at about 60 and a half. So I still think it's got room to run. But more importantly, like Marshall and Grant Wells, he's not going to get any pressure whatsoever. The Marshall offensive line has been fantastic at protecting him. Top 20 in pass blocking. Florida Atlantic has been terrible getting to the quarterback outside the top 100 in pass rush outside the top 50 in defensive havoc. They're not going to be able to stop what Marshall wants to do. And that is get the ball down the field fast. And Grant Wells is much better with a clean pocket than a crowded pocket. As far as Florida Atlantic goes, it's a very explosive offense. Uh, they can take advantage of a Marshall defense that is 90th in rushing success rate, 93rd in defensive havoc themselves. There's nobody taking the ball away from each other. There is lightning fast tempo going on in this game and two offenses that know how to get touchdowns up on the board. And that is if the explosive play isn't already putting it in the end zone. Uh, I like these ultra fast teams uh, getting the over in this game. Like it. May join you there. Thank you, as always, Colin, for joining me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Make sure you tune in on Saturday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, for Big Bets on Campus Live, which will be broadcast live on Twitter. We'll tweet out the show from our accounts, myself, Colin, and our college football insider, Brett McMurphy. And as I mentioned earlier, make sure you check out our Group of Five episode. Those guys have been killing it. The Sources episode with Colin and Brett. And... Of course, the college basketball episodes that will start on Wednesday with the three men. We have a lot of content coming to you on the channel. Appreciate your support. As always, appreciate you guys listening. Love this card this weekend. Hopefully, we can have a big weekend and a huge close to the season, just like last year. Please subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, leave a review. I'll do some giveaways on the recap episode. We'll recap the weekend, look at the next weekend, and look at some action, of course, weekday action. We'll do that on Sunday night, that episode will be out on Monday morning. But tell a friend, tell an enemy, leave a review. It really helps us out. And uh, we'll catch you later. Cheers. Peace out.